The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 262. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to search for all those social media buttons, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all those buttons, all those accounts. Click on those, take you right out to them. And while you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies or bucks or whatever you got my way. Help keep these lights on if you're watching it. Help keep the podcast going. You can also buy your Brian McClanahan book plates there. If you want my autograph on one of my six books, just order one of those book plates. I'll sign it, send it out to you in the mail. Easy, easiest thing you can do to get my autograph. Great way to do it. The best way to support the show, though, is by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll at mclanahanacademy.com. When you do enroll, you get a free course, 10 Myths of American History. And you also get the best deals on forthcoming courses. That is a huge hint because I've got another course coming out this month in October. It's almost ready. Those that are on McClanahan Academy already know this, and they're already getting a great deal. So you're going to want to be over there because I'm going to send you some emails talking about this great deal that you're going to get once... Uh, once the course releases, that great deal that you get for pre-order goes away. So go to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll. Again, free of charge. Get your free course. Get the best deals. Support the show that way, and you get a lot of great stuff. I've got this will be my eighth course at McClanahan Academy, uh, and it is just going to be fantastic. So you want that. And you can also support the show by going to learntruehistory.com, learntrue, T-R-U-E, history.com. Uh, that is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Head on out there, sign up there, great website, a lot of bang for your buck, over 20 classes there, and uh, I teach there as well, so it's a great way. You can get me lots of different ways. Also, don't forget to support the show by sharing this around on social media, uh, rating it on wherever you get your podcasts, give it a five-star rating, let people know you like it, uh, get some Brian McClanahan Show gear, go to brianmcclanahan.com, click on the shop button, take you out, get your Brian McClanahan Show gear, advertise the product. Uh, it's a great way to get people thinking locally and acting locally and, of course, uh, putting the message out there. So lots of great way to support the show and um, help out in advertising the show. Okay, and I do appreciate it all. And, again, don't forget to send me your recommendations for shows. I do read those, um, and um, I do appreciate that as well. Now, this one is a – this show is based on uh, a op-ed in – Let's see, this was in uh, thehour.com, and it's a Washington Post op-ed, which is interesting. You know, the Post sometimes has some interesting material, and it's by Steel Brand. Steel Brand is a history professor at King's College and um, author of a new book, um, Killing, the, Killing for the Republic, Citizen Soldiers in the Roman Way of War. He's in the U.S. military, uh, so... Uh, he wrote this piece, Why Knowing Roman History is Key to Preserving America's Future. You can look at this in two ways. And, of course, I did a podcast, an episode on the show way back. I mean, this is one of the earliest shows that I did. Um, 
on uh, Rome, and I entitled the show We Are Rome, and I can't remember the show number, but if you go back and you look for it, We Are Rome, I talk about how modern America has become Rome, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But what Brand is saying here is that if we just remembered Republican Rome, we'd be okay. Now, I agree with that. I agree with that particular statement. I'm going to go, I'm going to read this. It's pretty short. I'm going to read this op-ed, but I agree with that position, and I agree with how important Rome was to the founding generation. If There's a great book on this and by a man named Carl, Carl Richard, The Founders and the Classics. He actually wrote um, a couple of books on the topic, but just go out and look up Richard, Carl Richard. Um, so, but The Founders and the Classics is a classic treatment of the subject. No pun intended. Um, and we know that the founding generation viewed not just the Romans, but also the Greeks as perfect examples of what to do and what not to do when it came to forming a government. We also know that the, that the Roman character, that old Republican character, the old Roman citizen was essential, was essential in determining what the founding generation thought they should get from citizens in the United States. In the states, I mean, the the imagery is all over the place. Okay, and I'll and I'll add some things to this as I as I read through this uh, op-ed. I'll add some some information that would again buttress his argument. I agree that the Roman tradition is very important. He says something that's actually out of line for a conservative to say uh, nowadays, because. Uh, <laughs> because it would not be seen as uh, embracing this idea of American exceptionalism. Now, there's another great essay on this um, by Mel Bradford. Uh, He talks about the Roman uh, legacy, and it's in the book Remembering Who We Are. Um, So if you go out and you look up Emmy Bradford, Mel Bradford, and look up the title Remembering Who We Are, there's an essay in there. uh, I think it's the title is The Teaching for Republicans, Um, And he talks about the Roman legacy and how important it is for modern America. Now, he wrote this essay about 30 to 40 years ago, Uh, but certainly it still applies. I mean, people have been talking about this stuff for years. And one of the nice parallels with it, look, when when Rome became the empire, and of course it was disintegrating, the Republic was gone, essentially. And when Augustus becomes Augustus, Octavian becomes Augustus, and you've got the Roman Empire, the end of the Third Civil War, and you've got this new empire, what he tried to do was use historians in a way that would allow people to think about the past in a very romantic way. The old Roman Republic, the old Roman citizen, we need to rekindle that, bring that back. And so Augustus used Republican imagery over an empire. The problem with the United States, it doesn't matter how much we think about republicanism now. I mean, it would be a good start. Look, if we, we could just all be Republicans with a lowercase r, and we would do our duty, and we would be faithful stewards of our heroic past, our founding, all that stuff. Any Anything we want to talk about, you know, sacrifice and duty and honor and these type of things. Devotion to ancestral customs, meaning tradition and law. If we would be supportive of those things, it really wouldn't matter because we've got an empire now. And the only way to get rid of the empire is from the bottom up through a think locally, act locally mentality. Now, you could say republicanism fits with that. Sure, it does. But you've got to be willing to enforce it from the local and state level. It's never going to happen from the top down. And I think that's where Mr. Brand is 
missing the final component in all of this. So let's read this essay. Why knowing Roman history is key to preserving America's future. He begins, the United States didn't simply poof into existence, fully formed from the brains of the founders. He's talking, of course, about one of the Greek goddesses. History guided them as they crafted the American system of governance. This included the European traditions they were partially rejecting, but also elements from an older generation of republics that they wished to copy, especially the Roman Republic. And while our problems today feel distinctly modern, Rome still has lessons that can guide our republic. Plebus, a Greek who saw Rome's republic conquer the world, believed those statesmen and citizens who knew Roman history could shape the future with wisdom and justice. This is what the founders did, adapting the lessons of Rome to new problems, and it's what we must do again today. So he begins with this. First of all, one thing I will say, he, he, the classics were important to the founding generation, but they also had something else working with them, and that was the English tradition of civil liberties. The Magna Carta, or Charta, the you can say it either way, the English Bill of Rights, these are things that the fact, look, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, it is a, some, almost a copy of the English Bill of Rights um, and the indictment of James II. Almost a copy, I mean, with, with certain modifications. But, I mean, this is, this is the tradition that the founding generation is building on. Certainly, they were aware of Greek and Roman history. They were, they were reared on this stuff. I mean, when you went to school in the 18th century, you had a classical education. You read the Greek and Roman histories in Greek and Latin. So... They were certainly aware of these things, and they spoke about it quite a bit in their debates. But there was also some fatigue there when they would do this too much. Um, so he his said, well, we can learn a lot from Rome today. I, I agree, we can. We can learn a lot in two different ways. We can learn what not to do as well. In 509 BC, leading citizens in Rome overthrew a monarchy and created a republic that slowly took over the Mediterranean. For 500 years, this republic dazzled the world with its hard-working uh, citizen armies. The founders knew this history well. They had read Roman histories, Roman statesmen by, uh, and, and they had, um, and this got cut off. They had read Roman histories, for example, and I'm just going to continue down. Not surprisingly, then, Rome inspired many features of our own constitution, including its checks and balances, bicameral legislature, term limits, and age requirements. In some cases, the founders copied terms straight out of the Roman constitution, words like Senate, Capitol, and Committee. They named places in honor of Rome, like Tiber Creek and Cincinnati. American college and civic architecture are also strikingly Roman. The founders also preferred Rome's approach to warfare over Britain's. This preference explains why they denounced standing armies and made militias and conscription of citizen soldiers the primary method for national defense. Now, he's reading into that a little bit too much, right? The, the militia tradition is also very much English. You could say, well, the Romans were, of course, involved in Britain, and that, that became part. Well, certainly, yeah, the Romans were in Britain. But that, that citizen soldier uh, that they're talking about here is also strikingly British or English in its origins as well. And citizen soldiering was only one aspect of the Roman-inspired civic uh, virtue the founders believed citizens should exhibit. A tour through the Artwork of the U.S. Capitol today reveals that early Americans saw the Roman ideals of farming, working hard, raising strong families, and participating in local government as the building blocks for a strong national republic. No, not a strong national republic, a strong federal republic. So he uses this term. He, he, for all the things that Brand does here that are good, 
He still uses terminology and, and imagery from a top-down standpoint. And that's not what they were doing. It's not what they were doing at all. There's no national republic. It's a federal republic. You want to find a national republic, which, of course, Brand announced, let's go to France. They didn't have a national republic. They had a federal republic where you had, yes, these states as the building blocks of a central authority that had limited powers. In addition to shaping America's governing structures and virtues, Rome also shaped America's expectations for its leaders and civic heroes. The best compliment an 18th century statesman could receive was a comparison to a Roman. Abigail Adams called Elbridge Gerry, who was the, a leading revolutionary and later vice president under James Madison. wasn't vice president under James Madison. He was just vice president. A modern Cato. John Adams liked to think of himself as Cicero. Well, did anyone else call him that? <laughs> they called him his rotundity, but I don't know about Cicero. Uh, there were other Americans that were called Roman names. John C. Calhoun was one. The last of the Romans, he was called. Uh, Charles Carroll of Carrollton was called the last of the Romans as well. I mean, there, there were people that were called this by others. Just because John Adams styled himself a Roman doesn't mean he really fit the charge or the description. The veneration of all things Roman helps explain why Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay used the shared pen name Publius for the Federalist Papers, honoring the founding Roman statesman Publicola. This Roman influence was crucial because a very different... Well, let me back up here. The imagery, yes, in D.C. is strikingly Roman at times. George Washington in a toga, for example. Uh, George, the, the use of the imperium, the fasces in the Congress, or the image of the fasces uh, in other areas. Washington sitting uh, with the fasces under his hands. Lincoln doing the exact same thing, uh, but of course that was much later. Uh, the, the fasces in the imperium in Rome is all over the place. It's also very much styled after Athens, which people were, were, the founding generation were also familiar with Athens, of course, and they, they liked Athens as well. They liked Greece. Um, so it wasn't just Rome, though Rome did factor into this. <clears throat> this Roman influence was crucial because a very different path presented itself at the time the founders were designing the United States. The French Revolution took a different course than its American counterpart. Now, the time frame's off a little bit here. The French Revolution occurs after the Constitution has already been written and ratified, after the American War for Independence. Now, you could say that, uh, I mean, it took place during the Washington administration, but by that point, the United States already had been established as we know it today in terms of the U.S. Constitution. So they were suspicious of the French Revolution, but and no, and by no means was the French Revolution going to have any influence on the United States structurally. Now there were people that were worried about it. Now he, he says this: the French Revolution took a different course than its American counterpart. It did not simply seek to rebalance power, but rather to eradicate all existing power bases. The revolutionaries overthrew everything, the monarchy, the church, the nobility, property rights, and most of the other things that had held the French people together for centuries. The result was total anarchy fueled by bloody purges of whoever happened to be on the wrong side of the revolution, which was cons consistently changing in the 1790s. Um, yeah, so I mean, this was taking place, in, and, and this is correct, the American War for Independence was not a radical departure from the status quo antebellum. All they did was get rid of an American, uh, get rid of the king, and they didn't reestablish one 
for good reason, because they didn't want a king. But the power structure stayed the same. The, uh, when you look at the states, they established Republican constitutions, but essentially they just rolled over their old legislatures. In many cases, they just kept the, well, not many, in some cases, I should say, in New England, they just kept the colonial charters in place. I mean, they already had a Republican form of government, it was thought. So all of that stayed the same. They just didn't have a king any longer. This is why Alexander Hamilton stood up in June of 1787, before the French Revolution began, and said, look, we need, a, we need an American king. We're going to get one eventually. Let's just get one. Um, so there were people that advocated essentially reestablishing the entire British system here. They weren't trying to overthrow anything and create anything that was truly radical. It was essentially independence from the British Empire. So in that way, Dr. Brand is correct. This was not a radical departure. It was not a radical revolution. But he continues about France. This situation ended not with a stable republic, but with a strong man, General Napoleon Bonaparte. The bloodshed of his regime stood in stark contrast to the reign of the former general leading the United States in the 1790s. The reign? I mean, is this guy a king? Come on now. Use the right terminology. The administration. George Washington stepped aside from the presidency in 1797, personifying self-sacrifice and a peaceful transfer of power. This is true. I mean, Washington was, in many ways, the American Cincinnatus. I mean, he was called that. Washington was very careful about executive power, even though I could say he did some things wrong. He certainly was concerned about uh, a situation in the United States where it will be a dictatorship or uh, where you had an an overpowerful central government. One of the other things where the French Revolution did affect the United States, of course, is in things like the uh, Whiskey Rebellion, uh, John Marshall, who would later become uh, Chief Justice. John Marshall consistently worried about Jacobins running around the countryside, wishing to lop off the heads of people. I mean, this stuff was never going to happen, but this is what the, the Federalists, the Federalist Party, not the real Federalists who just wanted a federal republic, but the Federalist Party were concerned about. These were nationalists. They were concerned about these type of things happening here, which is why they wanted to have um, the Supreme Court destroy what Marshall called the terrorists, the Jeffersonians. While Washington propagated these lessons in Republican civic virtue, the French Revolution became a model for the brutal communist and fascist takeovers of the 20th century in Russia and Germany. Like the French, Russian, and Nazi revolutionaries believed they could ignore the bounds of history and create a new world order from scratch. I mean, this is also true. Like the French Revolution unleashed two centuries, and still to this day, uh, two centuries of nastiness. Everything is a byproduct of the French Revolution. The progressive left today is a byproduct of the French Revolution. I had a podcast on that as well. The, The destructive left. I mean, there's never been a more destructive force in the last 200 years than the, than the progressive left, whether it's the uh, during the French Revolution, during the uh, nationalist uh, wars of the middle of the 19th century and these wars of unification, which, by the way, involve the United States, uh, whether it's the, uh, the Communist Revolution of 1917, uh, whether it's the Communist Revolutions that took place in Asia uh, or in Mexico or uh, in Haiti. I mean, it, it, look... You look at the things that are going on in the world, and the French Revolution unleashed all of this stuff, or the Nazi regime. I mean, Nazis would not have been around without German, German unification in the middle of the 19th century. Wouldn't have happened. So 
the left, the modern left, is a byproduct uh, in the United States of the French revolutionary principles. The French Revolution is a disaster. These alternatives reveal how differently things might have gone for the United States had founders like Washington not humbly sought the wisdom of the ancients. Um, but again, the American War for Independence predated the French Revolution. I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, we could have had a French Revolutionary style uh, in War for Independence, but that wasn't going to happen. Not in 1776. French Revolution didn't begin until 1789. I mean, so, uh, and then the Rand of Terror, not till the 1790s. Not until 1793. So, Washington had already been in office. He was almost leaving office by that point. And that wasn't going to happen here. Um, by staying rooted in history, America did not descend into France's revolutionary tyranny or the totalitarian utopianism of the 20th century. Well, I mean, Franklin Roosevelt tried. And Lyndon Johnson tried. And Harry Truman tried. And certainly, the left is still trying. They're still trying to, to forge uh, totalitarian utopianism on, I mean, force it on America. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is the cancel culture and everything else. They're trying to be, there are, there are little totalitarian, little tyrants running around out there trying to, uh, and, and thought police and speech police. That's what all, that's what all that stuff is. It's, it's revolutionary France. You don't wear the pants. You don't wear the red cap of liberty. You don't say citizen. We're going to execute you. In a broad sense, America was remarkably unoriginal. This is where I say, you know, most conservatives can't get away with this. But this is true. I mean, the way it governed, the virtues it demanded of its citizens, and the, era, and the heroes it celebrated were inspired by the successes of the past. By looking at the Republican path hewed by Rome so many centuries earlier, the American founders learned how to move into the future. They knew what humans were capable of, what government could and couldn't do, and what citizens ought to do. Well, that's also true. That was a brilliance of the founders. Rather than trying to create something never tested, they adapted the lessons of history to their own age. They used older models and in innovative ways, like making Rome's unwritten constitutional norms part of America's written constitution and extending a republic across a continent using federalism and representation. Extending a federal republic. Not a singular republic, a federal republic. And yes, um... Having a written constitution was certainly an, an American innovation. I mean, it was. Look, a written constitutional tradition is different than an unwritten constitution. And of course, the British also had an unwritten constitution. Um, so this is purely American. That is true. Their legacy challenges, challenges us not to just know history, but to understand how it applies to the questions of today. This raises the most pressing and dangerous risk confronting us. A republic can endure many things. But a citizenry ignorant of its, of its past dooms it to failure. Well, this is an interesting position, and it's something that I think needs to be addressed. See, the left would say that they are cognizant of, the, of America's past. They're cognizant of America's past injustices, of racism, discrimination, sexism, um, all of these horrible things. They're cognizant of that past. So they could say that they're aware of history. That we, we're, they're trying to, uh, to use that as a model moving forward. This is where history as a weapon, a weaponized history, is very, very dangerous. Um, history is for its own sake. Now, of course, you can say, well, we can use that as examples. And I agree with that 100%. I mean, look, I'm gonna sit, I, I wouldn't sit here and say that the founding generation is not important. 
that the Romans and the Greeks are not important. There's a tradition there. There's a difference between advocating tradition and just history. You see, what the left is saying is that all that tradition is bad. It needs to be scrapped. They're using history in a revolutionary way. <clears throat> Whereas we would say, and of course Brand would say, we need to use history in the way that it's beneficial, and that is by preserving tradition. This is what the Romans would do. This is the respect for laws and their ancestral customs, which is tradition. The left doesn't like tradition. The left doesn't want it at all, unless it's their own tradition. You see, they also have their own tradition. In some ways, the left have become conservatives in the sense that they're trying to conserve the welfare state created by Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Anytime there's discussion of rolling back some of the New Deal, they become the, mo the left become the most ardent conservatives out there. Look, we've got to preserve these programs. We've got to preserve this stuff. We've got to preserve this bureaucracy. We've got to preserve these things because if you don't, it's going to destroy what we've worked so hard to create. So they are conservatives and trying to conserve the revolution that was Franklin Roosevelt in American government. So which history are we going to use? I mean, you could say, well, we're, they're, they're cognizant of history. They're cognizant that before Roosevelt, you had all these evil people out there, all these big bankers and all these people just running, ruining America. It's the Gilded Age all over again. We don't want another Gilded Age, income inequality. We don't want those things. This is the things that we don't want a return to Jim Crow and segregation while no one's really discussing that. I mean... That's the funny thing about it. They're going to use this imagery. We don't want to return to 1619 and slavery. Find me somebody out there that has any any merit or any influence saying, yeah, we know what we need to do in America. We need to go back to the way it was uh, with our labor institutions of the 17th century. There's, there's nobody advocating that. There's nobody advocating returning to Jim Crow. There's nobody advocating these things. But yet, this is the imagery they use. You see, everything in America is bad. So certainly, you could say that History is important, but um, how you use that history is also important. So I would say that they bet they they're um, if you just say we need to learn history, when the left says they learn history. They're not anti-history. I mean, the people like Kevin Cruz at Princeton and um, you know David Blight at Yale. I mean, they they're historians, and they believe that America's past is bad except for the few shining examples of SJWs from our past. Everything in the past was bad. All these people were bad. I was, I was going to do a, a, an episode on Elizabeth Varon and one thing that she wrote. Uh, there are certainly bad people. I mean, the whole this is why people are turned off, and I'm going to put her piece together with something else. People are turned off by some of this stuff, which is why uh, they're looking for other, other sources, other alternative sources, because they're tired of hearing these messages. Generations of Americans, and he concludes, generations of Americans and Romans grappled with many of the problems plaguing our society in modern ways, like complicated wars, crooked politicians, economic disparity, and the disintegration of the civic mores that bind a people together. Understanding the successes and failures of our Republican forebears does not guarantee we can solve all of our problems, but it does promise that we'll bring the arsenal of history's wisdom with us into the fray. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, you can also say that Rome, you know, we shouldn't follow Rome because Rome descended into an, an empire. The Republic did not last. So what are we really looking at here? Um, I mean, this is, this is an important question. It's, 
It's how we should, uh, when we think about history, it's not just history for history's sake, because again, the left could say we are, we're following history. We're following these great examples. I mean, heck, they could even say we're following the history of, of Marx, of the communist revolution. That's a great history. They're following history. We just disagree with the outcome of that history. They love that history. So you have to understand what history we're we looking at here. And of course, he would say, well, let's let's talk about Roman virtues and Republican virtues. This republicanism. I look, republicanism is great, and we should have that. But um, you're you're fighting a battle if you just say we need to learn history. Okay, yeah, we need to learn history. What kind of history? And then how do we apply that history? Um, and maybe, as as Bradford said, look, a teaching for Republicans. Yes, we need to we need to understand what Rome presented us, but not the Roman Empire. And uh, we need to be very careful to understand that we've gotten to a point where we're in the Roman Empire. So just speaking about Republican virtues doesn't change anything unless uh, we can change the the cancer, which is Washington D.C. And that's not going to happen by having some Republicans having Cicero show up in D.C. and make some lofty speeches. That's not going to happen because we have an entire culture that's built around something else. And we have this empire that's been created, which the left is certainly fighting to conserve. They don't, I mean, it's domestic. Now, some on the left are against the American empire uh, in, in the broad sense, but um, many of them are not. And of course, we have the neoconservatives who are not against the empire either. So we're going to have this American empire, and we're going to have top-down government, unless people can understand that they need to think locally and act locally and act like good Republicans. Yes, I mean, I agree with Brand on that. We need good Republicans, but it's going to take more. It's going to take people ignoring the center, which is something that you can't do if you've got an empire, or at least people seem unwilling to do at this point. You can do it, uh, but you have to be willing to accept that premise, and it's very hard to do. So I like this little piece. It's interesting. Uh, you go back and look at that episode that I did on We Are Rome. We're, we Are Rome in the worst sense of the of the term now, not in the best sense of the term. Um, and uh, if you can get that Bradford book, Remembering Who We Are, uh, you're going to have to get it used. And unfortunately, sometimes it's expensive. But it is a great book and with a great essay in there uh, by Mel Bradford, something that you should you should certainly read. And I agree with Bram. We need we need good Republicans, uh, but we also need the think locally, act locally mentality that is part and parcel as well of the English tradition of civil liberties and local self-government. I mean, these things are important. Uh, so the empire was not interested in local self-government at all. Uh, the republic may have been, but not the empire. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time. <laughs>